Hello, lovers. Welcome to the Nutrition Nuptials podcast. Before we get into today's show, a few announcements. First and foremost, on our last episode, you heard Stephen and Elise Compton, and just wanted to give a quick baby update. They gave birth to a beautiful baby girl the Monday before their episode aired. So congratulations to Stephen and Elise. Best week ever. Best week ever for Stephen and Elise. They got a new baby girl and a podcast episode. Can't get much better than that. Mm-mm, not at all. So if you'd like to congratulate Stephen and Elise, head on over to the Nutrition Nuptials VIP after party on Facebook and give them a little congratulations. If you are looking for a way to kickstart some healthy habits and a lifestyle together, whether you're engaged, married, or just in a long-term committed relationship, head on over to nutritionnuptials.com and grab your free Bride and Couples Starter Guide, Five Days of Meal Plans, Fitness, and Self-Care. You get a meal plan and an exercise plan for five days, and you also have a meal planner, grocery list planner, and then a tracker for some self-care like water, sleep, and stress management. So Taco, on a given day, how many glasses of water would you say that you drank? Uh, Eight-ounce glasses. Yes. Probably five or six. Okay. That's good. If you were if you were tracking, you'd be off the tracker charts. Sweet. So I'm off the charts, baby. You're off you're off the charts. Yes, absolutely. So if you want to see if you're off the charts, head on over to nutritionnuptials.com slash starter guide and grab it, or you can get the link in the show notes. Now, today we're going to be talking about intuitive eating, and I'll be making an announcement at the end of the show about an upcoming group that I'll be running for intuitive eating. So stay tuned to the end for that. And then finally, we are looking for couples to feature in the nutrition nuptials realm. So we are looking for folks to feature on the blog, on our social media, and also here on the podcast. So if you are a couple and you are doing something that is living your best life ever together, head on over, shoot us an email at podcast at nutritionnuptials.com and tell us all about you and how we can help get your message out into the world. How's that sound, Taco? Let's do it. Awesome. All right. Well, I think it's time to jump into today's show. Cue the music. It's the Nutrition Nuptials Podcast with Taco and Mandy, where we're helping couples learn how to live their happily, healthfully ever after. Hello, and welcome to Nutrition Nuptials Podcast, where we help couples go from a me to a we when it comes to their health and overall wellness. I'm Mandy Enright, a registered dietitian who hates diets, and I am joined this week and every week with the one, the only, my co-star and husband, Taco. And if Taco were here, this is where he would say, what up? I, I take it you didn't like my <laughs> Taco impersonations on the last episode? <laughs> I thought your voice was a little off. Yeah, you know, I thought, you, I don't know, that, it didn't really sound like me. I'm offended. Uh-huh. I, w- I worked on my Taco impersonation for like, Five minutes. Oh, really? Yes. (laughs) You could have fooled me. No? (laughs) All right. Well, on your next taco worldly adventure and you're not here and I have to record an intro. Yeah, work harder on on, yeah, work harder on your your impressions. All right. If you're a vocal coach, shoot an email (laughs) to podcast at nutritionnuptials.com and let me know how I can improve my taco impressions. (laughs) See, like that. I know. know, Your voice isn't that deep. I know. Oh, my. I'll work on it. Yeah. Keep working on it. 
So, Taco, how was India? It was fantastic. It was a great, from a business standpoint, accomplished a lot of the things we went there to accomplish. And otherwise, uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating culture. It's very different than here. In what way? In a lot of ways. But uh, I guess, like, there's the rules of the road, right? Technically, there are none. <laughs> it's complete chaos, but everybody knows their role. Are there lanes? Sort of. Are they dirt no. roads? I didn't, I, I was mostly in the city, so I, uh, I'm sure out in the suburbs or rural areas, there are dirt roads. But in the in the city of Mumbai, where I spent most of my time, I didn't really run into that many dirt roads. Maybe some, you know, bumpy roads and things like that. Definitely some narrow roads. I had an Uber driver or two who knew the back way to the office from the hotel, and we were, you know, behind slow-moving people. <laughs> Not even cars, like people walking down the street. It, you know, I'm pretty adventurous, and I fashion myself as a pretty good driver. So one, I've never driven on the left-hand side, but that's that's not a big deal. I drive in the UK or Australia, South Africa, any of those places where they drive on the left. I would try that, right? I would not ever, until I figured it out, try to drive in India because I don't know the unwritten rules, but everybody else does. So I'd be the guy causing the accidents because I wouldn't know where my role was in the organized chaos. I'm pretty sure that they don't give American tourists a whole lot of licenses or rental cars if, if this is that complicated. I cannot confirm nor deny that because I didn't even try. But you probably shouldn't drive in India unless uh, you kind of know what the rules are. Well, given that you hate the way I drive in the United States. You're never driving in India. Never, ever in your lifetime. It's never happened. Uber. <laughs> Ubers, uh, Ubers are definitely your friend in India, for sure. Those guys know their way around town. They're pretty cheap, um, even compared to taxis and things. So you can even get an Uber-like tut-tut car. What's a tut-tut? It's an open-air vehicle that um, has three wheels. The the It's like a big tr motorized tricycle. It can only fit three passengers, and you would be you you would have to be three really good friends. And those guys, the, the, the drivers, fit those things into the tiniest spaces. They're driving on highways next to big trucks and fast-moving traffic and then slow-moving traffic. It could be intense, let's put it that way, if you're not really ready for it. I had a great time. I thought it was fantastic. I was like, woohoo! I was like, it's like a roller coaster ride. Or what I was really thinking of was in Disney, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, because like these guys will literally drive up to something and then, then they'll just turn left. And like the other guy turns left too, so they go in opposite directions. And it's like, I don't know how they figured out which way each one was going. Because they know the rules they of the India the, they road. They know the unspoken rules, yeah. Yeah, they've got it. Yeah. All right, so now that you're back and acclimated to the U.S. and are driving rules <laughs> and back behind the wheel of your own car. Right. How's, how's it feel to, to be back in the U.S.? About the same as it was a week ago or so when I was here last. Not that much has changed. All right. Well, now that you're, you're back here and we're back together on the show. Mm-hmm. Reunited and it feels so good. Mm -hmm. Today's show, I wanted to talk about a topic that I've been working on for, for a while now. And it's a topic that is becoming more and more prevalent in my dietitian circle and kind of making its way out there into the, the general public. I guess we'll call it the, the vernacular knowledge. Mm. And that's an idea called intuitive eating. Have you ever heard of it, Taco? 
only because I know you, but you might want to explain what it is to everybody else. Well, that's what we got the show for. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd stop here and, you right. know, we'll go eat yes, dinner. Yes, I've heard of intuitive eating. All and right. I've heard it from more sources than just from you. Okay. Well, who are these sources? Like you said, it's out there. It's popular. Okay. It's getting more popular. It's, it's getting a lot more popular now. So the reason I wanted to really talk about this today in particular is because it's the beginning of February, which means that we have gotten through January. And New Year's resolutions. And New Year's resolutions. And this is really the time where if you made plans to go on a quote unquote diet per se, it's highly likely that you may not still be on said diet. Right. Or you've fallen off of it. Okay. And we think back to the whole idea of of diets in general. Have you ever actually been on a diet, Taco? Never. In your whole life? Nope. I've never been on any kind of diet. I, I think the closest thing to a diet ever that I've ever been on was actually before doing the Warrior Challenge back in September, where I basically stopped drinking for a few days. Um, you know, you kind of helped me out with my uh, nutrition plan heading in. Uh, we kind of did a carb depletion and then the carb load. That's the closest thing to a diet. And that was really just more for, for like, that wasn't weight loss. That was preparing for a, a, a big, you know, physical event. Yeah. So that was all about performance. That like was you performance said, based. Weight. Yeah. But I've never been on a diet to lose weight or whatever it is that people do diets for. Okay. So if you've never personally been on one, if you hear the word diet, what kind of comes to mind? Well, it's short term, you know, so like the first, I guess the first diet that I can remember kind of being popular was the Atkins diet, right? And so I knew people in school who were going on spring break and they were doing the Atkins diet to lose those last few pounds before going on spring break and to some, you know, beach. Or getting your bikini on for Be spring break. Bikini or whatever it was that- Speedo. You know, yeah, Speedo. Whatever it is you wear to the beach, people were trying to like cut some weight before heading to the beach for spring break. And then what happened when they got back from spring break? I'm pretty sure they weren't on Atkins anymore and they went back to however they were eating. Do you think they were following Atkins on spring break? Oh, hell no. No, nobody was following Atkins on spring break. No one does Atkins on spring break? <laughs> I'm sure people do. Uh, I guess if you're kind of in it for the long term, you might be doing that. But um, I think if you were doing Atkins in preparation for spring break, mission accomplished by the time you got there. So when I think of diet, it's, it's short term. You know, I think with a lot of diets too, because they are so drastic sometimes, like it's either cutting out a major food group, it's completely changing some aspect of the way that you eat. It does cause a uh, an immediate and dramatic reaction, particularly in, in the number on the scale. And so I think a lot of people... This is just my, I'm not a dietitian. I'm, this is just the dumb he guy. He just lives this one. Yeah, well, right. But like, I'm not claiming expertise here. I, this, this is just my own personal opinion of, I guess, human behavior that I've noticed around me is that you, you, you see a result in the, on, in the number on the scale and equate that with success and with it being a good thing. Um, but then, you know, the sustainability of some of these diets is, is really what's in question. And I think some people with some of these diets, know that what they're doing is not sustainable, but they see it as beneficial because they're trying to lose weight and they see that they are losing weight. And so then they see that as success. Right. And I think you've, you've hit a lot of nails on the head 
without being a dietitian, with just being the dumb guy. <laughs> I can call myself the dumb guy. You can't call me the dumb guy. Oh, okay. Well, just being the um, the observer guy. Right. Observer guy. I think you really, really got a lot of these points across about diet. So I always say diet is a dirty four-letter word. And like you said, they're, they're designed to be temporary. And diets in, essentially are designed to fail mm-hmm. overall. Because like you said, it's usually something very drastic. It's usually something that's just not sustainable for the long period of time. And people get frustrated or tired or they miss something from, let's say, the old life mm-hmm. before the diet. And now they're they're craving that and they want to go back to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the quote unquote joke that we'll say is that if you want to gain weight, go on a diet. Because what <laughs> research has actually shown is that not only do 95% of diets fail, out of that, about 60% or so of the folks who go on diets and fall off of them don't only just gain the weight back, they usually gain more back. Mm-hmm. And they usually say about on average, people gain 11 pounds back after a diet. Why do you think that is? A lot of it because of your metabolism. So the way that our body works, and this is not intended to be a science lesson, but I think this is important information that everybody should be hearing. Our bodies were designed to be efficient, like a car. Mm -hmm. You put gas in your car, it goes. You stop putting gas in your car, it doesn't work as efficiently. It's going to slow down and eventually it's just going to stop moving. Right. So the way that our bodies were designed to work is that we need our own version of gas, which is calories Mm -hmm. and energy. And if we're not giving ourselves that adequate amount of energy, we're basically telling our body that we don't need it. And if you don't need it, your body has a built-in self-defense mechanism and it's called the starvation mode. Mm -hmm. And when we go into starvation mode, we we slow down how efficiently we're we're using our energy because we don't want to overuse efficient uh, or we don't want to inefficiently use our energy for silly things like burning calories at rest Mm -hmm. because we're in starvation what mode. If, what if you get chased by an animal? If you get chased by an animal, so then, you know, that's going to be some different signals coming, like your heart is beating really fast. You're probably running. So there's going to be some different demands being made on on your body as a result versus um, just starving yourself. Right. But my point was, it's it's like a primal thing, right? Like that your body wants to hold on to as many calories as it can during rest so that when fight or flight has to take place, uh, then that's when you're going to burn those calories. You need the energy for that. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And I always like to tell people that your body doesn't know if you're on a desert island mm-hmm. without any food or water, or you're sitting in your at home on your couch right, and just not eating. It sees it as the same. Exactly. Because, And I said this all the time, your body doesn't know like where you are, your body also can't tell time. A lot of people are very big on like the, oh, I don't eat after like, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock at night. I'm like, your body doesn't know time. Mm-hmm. Your body knows energy. Mm-hmm. Do I have enough energy? Do I not have enough energy? Can I be efficient? Do I need to slow down my efficiency? Right. What happens is people go on diets. They're cutting calories. Body says, okay, we're in starvation. Let's, let's slow down. Mm-hmm. And then you go off the diet and we... Don't just go off the diet casually. Usually it's dramatic, dramatic. Sometimes there could be a binge. Sometimes it's a post-celebration. But any way that you cut it, you're doing something differently and taking more calories than you were when you were on said diet. So a lot of diets can um, mess up your metabolism so that when you go off the diets and start eating, whether it's let's even say normally, 
right? right? The way you were before without binging or any of that other stuff, your metabolism is different now. And maybe your metabolism isn't as efficient as it used to be. And, and so then that's probably why, that's why it sounds like people are putting on more weight after the diet than before they started. Exactly. And what starts to happen too is when you do this, you know, yo-yo dieting of going back and forth, your metabolism is kind of like, let's say a spring where over time it's not as springy anymore. So mm-hmm. it doesn't bounce back quite as quickly as when you're going on diet. And that's why the more diets people tend to go on, the more they start to gain weight over time because their metabolism has been impacted so much from all this yo-yo dieting over time. Got it. Which begs the question, can this be fixed? Can what be fixed? Can you reverse the impacts of diets or what do you mean by fixed? Yeah. So can we get off the impact diets? Basically, can we get off this goddamn stupid roller coaster of diets? Or the uh, hamster wheel. It's a hamster wheel. It is a hamster wheel. And I'm actually going to, I'm going to post onto our, our show notes. And I actually put a post up on the blog earlier this week, all about intuitive eating for couples. So I have a little, the diet life cycle on here, which basically Mm -hmm. says you start a diet, you go on this restriction. And actually, let me backtrack. Most people, when they're, they know they're starting a diet, they usually do like a little last supper action the night before. (laughs) So there's a binge before you even start. Yeah, there's a binge because you've already got in your head that you're going to be deprived. Mm-hmm. So I want to enjoy the last of the ice cream or whatever it is that you think that you're in for. Okay. So then we go in, we do a little restriction. Okay. And we're like, okay, I'm being healthy. I'm cutting out Carbs. all carbohydrates and all sugars. Yeah. But then it starts to feel a little deprived because you're like, I would love a piece of bread right now. Right. I, I, need something or I miss, I miss those foods. Mm-hmm. And then what happens? We start to crave said foods right? because we haven't had them. And then eventually there's only so long that you can withhold a craving for before you start to cave in. Yep. And you give into that craving, you have it, but you don't just have a little bit. Usually it's going to be a form of a binge right? in some way. And then because we started this whole diet with the intention of doing something healthy for ourselves. And then we, we binge, we feel really guilty and we feel terrible. This diet was stupid. It didn't work. I'm going off of this. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we find out about something new to try and we go back on again because this time it's going to be different. Right. And the sad thing is it's not going to be different. Right. And like I said earlier, diets are designed to fail. There's a reason that the diet industry is a 66 billion with a B industry because they know people are going to pay the money to find the next big fix or magic pill. Right. Yeah. And get those short-term results. Exactly. So before we get into a little bit about how we can kind of fix it, I want to just um, bring up a little bit about some of the different eating styles out there and different, um, let's call them dieters that are out there. Okay. All right. So there's a bunch of different eating personalities. And I'm sure, as I mentioned some of them, a few people might come to mind. I'm not saying it's anyone specifically that you have to think about, but... Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to, some people are going to come to mind. So there's a bunch of different eating personalities out there. Everybody's different. Everyone has their own way about things. So, you know, looking at the different eating styles. So the first one we have is what we call the careful eater. These are the people who will tell you that they eat to live. Okay. They just, they eat because they have to. Right. And they're, they're careful about what they put into their bodies. So you might have someone who reads every food label or, you know, I only buy quote unquote 
clean foods, raw foods. I don't buy anything in the middle of the supermarket. I don't have any packaged foods. These are the people who they can be um, planners too, mm -hmm. but they're planners in the extent of I need to plan because I need to make sure that I'm having like the best, healthiest possible meal that I'm having. Okay. So they tend to run the line between like, I'm really interested in my health and then a little bit obsessive about the body image outcome okay. of it. Okay. Then we get into what we call the professional dieter. Hmm. And this is the person who will take off to you every possible calorie and carb count in every food. Do so they count steps? They probably, yeah, they'll count their steps. Anything that, that has a number related to right. it, they will, they will tell you. So they will tell you, you know, all the calories in their foods. They know exactly what they, what they should be having, shouldn't be having. If I have this, I can't have this. You know, this is like, especially if someone who I think has been through like the Weight Watchers way mm -hmm. of things where everything turns into a point. Right. And they'll tell you, you know, this is X points. This is X points. This is X points. Right. So it's never seen as food. It's mm -hmm. always seen as a, a number or something else. That's a hard way to go about life. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you, you're counting every calorie and you're both input and output. Yeah. Yeah. So that could be, and, and a lot of it too, isn't it imprecise? Like, okay, so you have a sandwich. It's a turkey and cheese or turkey sandwich with lettuce and tomato on a whole wheat bread or something like that. It's kind of, an, it's not exact, is it? No, unless you're weighing every single thing. And again, with the professional diet, professional diet will have a scale. Okay. They probably they may or may not carry it with them, but they'll have a food scale. They may have sure. measuring cups or something like that. Um, they'll know every last bit. So I, I will give you an example. I had a woman, I was doing corporate counseling last week and I had a woman that came to see me and, you know, she told me her whole backstory about how she lost a, a significant amount of weight years ago. And she is a professional dieter. She's so obsessive about everything. We were trying to have a conversation. I was trying to give her some ideas of things and she would spout out exactly how many calories or how many carbs something would be. I was trying mm -hmm. to give her some suggestions. She wanted to know about having a whey protein as a snack. So I was like giving her some suggestions. I was like, yeah. you know, you might want to mix it with milk just because it tastes better that way. And she's like, oh, no, 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 because that's um, 120 calories. And I can't I can't afford to have that extra <laughs> calories. So she was sacrifice something that tastes good mm -hmm. for calories. Yeah. And she well, was going to fight me tooth and nail on it. I mean, that's, that's, that's the way people choose, right? So, uh, okay. So that's the, uh, what, what, it, what was this called? That's the professional dieter. The professional dieter. Okay. Okay. So then we get into a series of what we call unconscious eaters. Mm -hmm. This is usually someone who is sometimes it can be seen as mind, mindlessness sometimes mm -hmm. too. So it's, you're never just eating. You're usually doing something else at the same time. Right. The first one, and I'm going to say this, this is the category I fall into, which is called the chaotic unconscious eater. Oh, jeez. I yeah. know where this is going. Yeah. You just, you have a busy life. You've overscheduled yourself and you just forget to eat. I can't relate to that. I mean, I can relate to being busy. I can't relate to forgetting to eat. That has literally never happened in my entire life. I have never forgotten to eat. I may have been painfully aware that it's past the time where I should be eating, but I eventually get to the eating, but I've never gotten to the end of the day and gone, oh man, I forgot to eat lunch. Yeah. No, That's I've, not a thing yeah, I've had that. And unfortunately, I think for me, that came from my advertising days of just learning how to go long periods of time without eating. I'm working on it. Trust me, this is, this is an ongoing work in progress mm -hmm. with it, but you know, when I worked in advertising, there'd be days where four o'clock would roll around. And I'd be like, I haven't eaten lunch. Just having that time. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not that I didn't have the time. I didn't make the time. I didn't right. make it a priority. Yeah. And I know that. So that's what the uncon- the chaotic unconscious eater is. Okay. So my people, we're out there. Then we have the refuse not unconscious eater. So this is the person who I'm going to call them the grazers. So no matter what's around, they're usually going to going to pick on it. They're aware that they're eating. They just don't know how much. So this is the person who grabs the candy. This is the person who will grab um, if there's cookies in the break room or something like that. Um, they're aware that they're doing it. They just don't know how much. And we know over time that stuff starts to add up after a while. Even just within one day. Absolutely. And then one day usually isn't the only time it's happening. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's over not. Um, okay. Next, we have the waste not unconscious eater. My dad fell into this category. Okay. <laughs> So this is part of the children are starving in Africa era, like the depression era children where you learned that you have to eat everything because, you know, with money and we don't want to waste money. You know, you and I grew up essentially in the 80s, which was children are starving in Africa. Clean Clean your your plate, plate. the clean your plate club. Yeah. So these are the people who and like I said, my dad definitely fell into this where it's like he could not stand to see leftover food even if it was food that could have been saved for another day there was like that little bit left over and it would like haunt him if he didn't have it right yeah and then finally we have the emotional unconscious eater so again the emotional eaters where if you're sad you have something you're happy you're having something the emotions basically rule okay what you're having got it recognizing these types of different so eating styles. So I guess I was trying to figure out which one resonated most with me. And I guess the closest one was like the, the grazer, the, uh, I guess the unconscious eater, not the one that was the waste, not the other one. It's that. Yeah. That was the other, the conscious unconscious. Con- yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you have to specifically fall into one of those, oh, well, but then never mind. <laughs> but those are more, more the, uh, the dieting types of eating styles that are, that are out there. Okay. Now, what we are talking about today is what we call intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. And I say this all the time that you probably don't even realize that you you do it. You are probably one of the most intuitive eaters that I know. How come? Because we'll be eating dinner. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you're talking because you have left the house for the day and gone to an office. I work out of the house. So I, it's just me and Shiva. And I only have so many stories to tell after a while. So I get to hear about Taco's day. Mm-hmm. And it's usually during dinner. So you're talking as you're eating mm-hmm. and I'm just eating and listening. Right. So you usually will get to the end of your day and telling me about it. And you've maybe eaten a halfway or three quarters of your meal and you'll right. be like, I'm done. Yeah. I, I'm well, what I'll say is I'm not hungry anymore. Yeah. You're like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not hungry. Yeah. And meanwhile, you have like, and <laughs> so like sometimes I'll look over and you have a completely clean plate and I've got like a significant amount of food left. And I'm like, man, what's wrong with me? Why am I not um, eating as much or something like that? But like, I also think I do a, like we, t- we discussed your eating habit where you could literally forget to eat lunch and mm-hmm. that never happens to me. I'm eating throughout the day. I'm, I'm like, I, I, I always and making time for at least lunch, right? But then there's snacks. Um, today I had breakfast one and breakfast two before I even got the lunch. And then like a snack before heading home and then going to the gym and things like that. So I had a decent amount of food before I even got to dinner a lot of times. Um, so I think that might be the reason why I get to that point. 
Yeah. But I also think too, it's like I said, like you're, you're doing other, like you're, you're talking during, while you're eating. So Mm -hmm. you're slowing down a little bit more. Right. You're not kind of shoveling food in. It's a little bit more intentional with, with what you're eating. Yep. So, and this is actually a fairly common thing I hear about from folks where usually one partner, and I'm not going to make this a sexist thing, but it sometimes, most of the time can be the male who can usually be this more intuitive eater. You don't know, like I said, you don't necessarily know that you are because to you, it's just eating. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. So one thing I will say is there have been times where I do think I have been more conscious about what I'm eating or more specifically, I think it's that I'm more conscious about how, what I'm eating impacts the way I feel. And, and the biggest example that I can think of is, is there was a point, and, and you'll probably remember this, there was a point where every Monday I would get to the cafeteria and go, I need a salad. And it was literally like a, a physiological reaction in my body that said, dude, yeah, overdid it this weekend. Was that because we had a shore house and drank many beverages and ate a lot of pizza? Well, no, I think that was even past the shore house era. I, I, I remember this being like even when we lived together in Belmar, you know, as full-time residents, not as shore house renters. But it, it wasn't it, hadn't, it didn't have anything to do with the drinking. It had to do with the eating. And in particularly the, the, the specific Sundays that I found it to be to find that feeling the most was after tailgates. Sunday tailgates. So after, Philly, but, but like Philly Sunday whole, tailgates. But there was a whole weekend of stuff that happened even before we got to that point. And then we had the tailgate. And then maybe there was some sort of like, uh, we're going out for dinner or something. Because like, after coming back, we don't feel like cooking. So like, there that could have been a good three days in a row going from Friday through Sunday of maybe overdoing it a little or may, maybe not even overdoing it, but eating certain types of foods and not eating others. And so literally I had, and, and you know, like we've talked about it on this podcast before. I'm not a salad eater. That's not really my thing. It's not a thing you crave. Not at all. But there, there have been periods of time in my life where I was like, I need a salad. I really, I don't want any of this other stuff. I like I, my go-to is a sandwich usually. And even that was like, nope not interested. I'm going to go for and go for whatever salad they're making in the in the cafeteria. Today. So here's the question. Were you having the salad because you felt guilty no. and you it was not it was a, a weight thing. it was a weight thing it wasn't a weight or thing. you were just like my body needs some nutrients. It it was li- it was a physio- physiological response in my body that I was in tune with and I was like, "Okay, I'll have a salad." Well, but I it wasn't think- guilt. It wasn't trying to lose weight. It had nothing to do with any of those things. It was just an intuitive thing, I guess. Like So intuitive eating. It was just me being in touch with how I felt after how I had eaten either the day before or days before. Okay. Well, I think that is a fantastic segue into talking about what exactly intuitive eating is. Let's do it. Uh, so you, you use the big P word, which is physiological. And that mm-hmm. really is what intuitive eating is. It's getting back to your internal physiology. Right. Your own biology. So I always say babies are the most intuitive eaters out there. Because all babies know is... I'm hungry. I'm hungry. When they're hungry, they cry. Mm-hmm. So then we feed baby. I can relate to that. Yeah? <laughs> I don't cry. I just turn into a gremlin if I don't eat when I'm like, it's time to eat. It's the same thing. <laughs> So you cry, babies cry, they get fed, they stop crying. Right. And then maybe the only thing they know is like gas. Yeah. 
right? Some some discomfort. Mm-hmm. They get over it. And then when they're hungry again, they cry restart. and restart the cycle. What starts to happen, though, is as babies grow up and they become small, small little children, toddlers, we start to get put them on schedules. They start to get put on feeding schedules. They start to learn what types of foods they should be having, should not be having. This is where like the broccoli versus cookie battles start to come into play. Um, Some kids may start going to like a nursery school or daycare program where, again, it's very set schedules of time. So it's a little bit that beginning of starting to lose that hunger fullness because you're being put on somebody else's schedule. Then you go to school. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but. When I was in most of my elementary and I think even maybe high school, you couldn't bring food to class with you mm-hmm. unless right. you had enough for everyone to share. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember it, like in grade school, I don't remember like eating in the classroom being a thing at all. The only time, the only exception being like, okay, if you brought a birthday cake in or something like right. that. Right. Birthday right? Like, parties was yeah. the big deal. And then, so then that was like. Uh, or a class party. Like, yeah. I don't remember ever pulling out a snack in the middle of the day. Like there was a, literally a period of time that was called snack where you took a 10 minute break to go get milk or chocolate milk or, you know, whatever candy they were selling or whatever um, before lunch. Yeah. The other thing about school is that they tend to have some wacky schedules with eating. So like you might mm-hmm. start school at whatever, eight o'clock and then lunch is at 11. Yeah. And then you're not done until two or, yeah. or something like that. So your day gets kind of off balance. And then every year your eating schedule changes a little bit more. I remember right. talking to a couple of kids when I was doing private practice. I think they were even high school kids. And they tell me like, oh, my day starts at like 730. My lunch period is at 1030. Mm. And again, school doesn't end until, let's say, two o'clock. Yeah, that's a big gap. That's a big gap. That's a big gap for me. And, you know, I would ask them, like, can you eat snacks in class? And they're like, I don't think we're allowed to. Mm-hmm. So I would tell them to, you know, go to their locker, or yeah. put something in their backpack that they could eat in between class times. But, you know, we get put onto, onto these regimented schedules. The other thing, too, is, is, and I'm talking about high school particularly, is that's when I think a lot more of the quote unquote diet culture starts to fall into into play as a, as a girl. You know, you were always hearing about different diets or things that you should be having. I grew up in the 80s. So, you know, diet sodas was a big thing. Fat free was the big thing. Fat free, I was going to say, like girls that I knew, like the green boxes of snack wells and things like that. Those were like huge, right? And, then, and people would count grams of fat. And then we did, oh, it's only two grams of fat. And it's like, well, who even knows like how much one gram of fat is? Like, right. and whether that's- Yeah, I would like eat Sour Patch Kids because I'm like, there's no fat. Right. <laughs> They're fat free. Right. Um, and, and I'm saying for girls in dieting, but even athletics mm-hmm. and- you know, learning how to do things, or if you were in a sport that involved you to be a certain weight, that started to play a factor as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where like the whole idea of dieting culture starts to creep in. Right. Um, and that also depends too on any other inf- influences that you could have, whether it's your own family or people that you're around. And if you, let's say you're in a household and you have a mother or a father who's constantly on diets, mm-hmm. you know, you're getting exposed to that pretty early on. Right. And then friends and then the media starts to play a role in that as well so then we go to college mm-hmm. and that's its own beast and we talked yep. we we had two ep- whole episodes all about eating college, college and eating yep. and then uh you get to the work world and then right. again that's where things start to fall out of out of place because 
now you are super out of control with all your schedule and you have work obligations, life mm -hmm. obligations. Mm -hmm. You know, I have so many people that don't eat breakfast because they just have to get out in the morning and right. get to work or they have to get their kids out to school. Their kids eat breakfast. They won't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, making ourselves less of a priority for ourselves. So right. after all this time, we have done a fantastic job of learning how to suppress all of our basic instincts, basic instincts and our, our basic, you know, hunger and fullness levels. Mm -hmm because we've made other things a priority. So we, we've, you know, now you have at least two decades worth of suppression that you have. Right. And now our job is to go back and undo a lot of this. Got it. Okay. So the question becomes, how, the, how do we do that? Yeah. Okay. So we talked about essentially what intuitive eating is or how, what it means to be an intuitive eater, which again is, mm -hmm. is learning how to listen to your body. A lot of it's getting back to you know, how we go about doing that. And the big word is trust, mm -hmm. learning how to trust yourself, mm -hmm. learning how to trust your body and learning that the choices that you make are not detrimental to your overall end goal of, of you know, still being healthy. I think a lot of times the misperception with intuitive eating is, oh, well, I can just eat what I want. <laughs> That's not necessarily the case. What the intention is, is that if you allow yourself to have the things that you want, you're not going to have this overindulgence because yeah. you just have it. Right. And, you know, that's a concept that a lot of people have a hard time understanding because they say, you know, like, oh, I, I can't be near a box of cookies. <laughs> I'll eat the whole box of cookies. Mm -hmm. If you've ever been in the situation where you've eaten the whole box of cookies, you feel, you feel pretty crappy afterwards. Right. And I'm not saying like I you know, you gain 10 pounds because you ate a box of cookies, but like, it just doesn't feel good. Right. So then you probably don't want cookies for a while. Yeah. Until the next time you see them and then eat the whole box again. You could, or you could be like, you know what? I didn't feel good the last time I had those. Right. <laughs> I'm going to skip that. And I think it's just over time learning that, you know, it's okay. And you know what? After a while, you're going to be okay having one to two cookies. Right. And get over it. So you use the word trust, but I, I wonder if even there's something before trust that's even like acknowledgement. Yes. Right. Because like to, to me, I think like I, I, I think I'm pretty good at acknowledging how I feel as a result of, you know, whether it's what I'm eating or how much I've been able to move and work out or things like that. But I don't I don't know if everybody has that. I don't know if, if that if everybody's aware that they have that awareness or acknowledgement that they're feeling a certain way every time they eat a certain way. You know what I mean? So like, I wonder if there's even like a step before that. That's like, do you even, are you even paying attention? Yes. And that, that is actually part of, there's a, there's a cycle or a concept called mindful, mindful eating, mindfulness. And it does stem from that of, of knowing like, why am I eating this? Mm -hmm. Am I eating this because I want it? Am I eating because it it's here? What's going on around me as I'm having this? Mm -hmm. So yeah, bringing a lot more awareness, like that moment, that point in time of why you're doing something versus the cookies were out and I'm having them. Right. Awareness definitely plays a huge factor. And again, it's part of, um, I always say it's like peeling the veil away a little bit of, of seeing like what's going on and kind of getting a sense that maybe something's not working. Right. And maybe there's another approach we can take to it. Um, so before we get into talking about, there's 10 principles overall about intuitive eating. But before we get into that, I just want to um, talk a little bit about you know, couples, the whole idea of, of being a couple and dealing with diets. Um, so we'll talk about the principles of intuitive eating and how they relate to 
people as a couple. Okay. But I also want to go back to just dieting in general and how diets can impact couples, even starting from just the the dating or, or courting period, we'll call it. Mm-hmm. So most people, when they're looking for a significant other, they're probably more in tune and trying to, you know, watch what they're eating and working out more because we want to be attractive. We want right. to be hot and sexy yep. and find someone. And I have to say now this whole online dating and app dating, that's not helping the whole overall diet thing because all that is based on is appearance. Right. Yep. I'm sure people have lovely personality profiles. Yeah. <laughs> but the first thing that you're looking at is their their pictures. Right. If all you're seeing, if all if basically all you're seeing is a picture of somebody, then it's going to be the best picture they've ever taken. And if it's not, they're doing something. They're doing or it's it their high school picture from like <laughs> <laughs> 10 years ago it's the best picture they've ever taken and you know that that image they might either be trying to keep living up to it or or whatever either way it's all about the physical appearance and it's not about the wonderful personality behind that appearance exactly so let's say you broke through and you you met a lovely person you start dating then you kind of get into like a little bit of that dating period where you're going out to eat a lot or mm-hmm. going out for drinks i remember that we still do it. <laughs> that 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 has not gone away. But, you know, the number one activity couples do is go out to eat. Oh, never mind. <laughs> so, you know, you get comfortable and then let's say it all works out well and you get engaged. Right. Yay. Hooray. Um, so then we get into a little bit of that cycle again of I'm getting married. I got a I got to look slamming on my wedding day. Right. And kind of getting back into that whole little bit of diet idea. Yep. And then we get to the big day. And we're like, oh, thank God, I don't have to diet anymore. Right. And then we get comfortable again in your, in your married state. And then one day you're like, I've gained a lot of weight since I got married. <laughs> and really, I mean, that's that's where Nutrition Nuptials came from, was right. meeting couples and hearing their stories after they got married. And, you know, why why is that? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's because you get comfortable and not them saying you don't have to look hot and sexy for a significant person. I think you should still look hot and sexy for your significant person. Whatever that means for you. I know you do, babe. Whatever that means for you. But, you know, it's it's still keeping that, you know, I think it becomes more important than ever when you're in this these long-term relationships, especially marriage, where I think you're doing it more for yourself than for the other person mm-hmm. right. and keeping that healthiness for you. Um, but when somebody starts getting to the whole diet thing, diet ideas and that that cycle that we talked about earlier, um, it can start to have some pretty serious impacts on a relationship. Mm-hmm. How come? How? Um, okay. Well, uh, let me ask you this. Have you ever, have you ever dated a girl who was a, a dieter? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think like, at least not while we were dating or at least, or if she was, I wasn't aware of it. Like, I, you know, back in like the, you know, whatever the nineties, like, okay, my high school girlfriend loved like snack wells and stuff, like, but I wouldn't call them because they were like low fat and things like that. Right. But I wouldn't call what she was doing dieting. I I think she just was like, okay, well, these, these are better for me than other cookies. And so I'll eat these instead of those sort of thing. I'm not aware of anybody that I dated that was on a diet while we were dating. I could be wrong. Okay. Well, you know, these are some things, and these are things that I've read about. These are even things I've seen personally in my own private practice with clients I've had um, telling me stories. And I've had male clients who have been trying to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe their wives have, have not been as supportive or women who have tried to lose weight and maybe with, with 
the husband not being as supportive. So a couple of ways where diets can start to draw a little bit of a wedge Mm -hmm. in a relationship. So first and foremost, you may not be doing things together because food becomes an issue. Right. Socialization. Like I said, the number one thing couples tend to do is go out to eat. Mm -hmm. So you start eating your meal separately because I'm on a diet. I can only have this. I don't want to eat next to you because you're going to be eating pasta and I can't have pasta and it's not fair for me to watch you eat pasta. So I'm going to eat separately. Yep, I'm going to eat a different meal. You start going grocery shopping separately because you're Mm -hmm. buying different things. You start to feel a lot of pressure from the other person who's maybe trying to get you to, you know, give up or feel bad about yourself or peer pressure you into having. Join me. Right. Like. Join us. Right, exactly. Socializ- like I said, socialization overall. And it's not just even with your significant other, but if you go out with other folks and, again, if you don't want to eat or you become that person at the restaurant who's like doesn't want to eat, you know, asking for all these special accommodations right. or even going out to eat. I mean, you and I love to go out to eat and we like to share meals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How, would, how would you feel if we went out oh. to eat and I ordered the appetizer salad? That's so, it. So, okay. So if that was a brand new behavior, <laughs> if that was a brand new behavior, I'd be like, there's something wrong with you. But if that was something that was from the very beginning, we probably would have never made it. <laughs> right. But I mean, like, how fun is it or not fun is it to like watch someone eat a salad? Yeah. And you get like a like a meal meal. Right. Like if you got, okay. So if you were, if you were the person who got the salad and I was the person getting, I don't know, uh, the meatball sub or something like that, I'd be like, okay, we're not in the same place. <laughs> Other ways that where it starts to draw a little bit of wedge is there's diet talk, constantly having at meals, mm-hmm. between meals, you're getting a countdown of all the calories that I'm having or all the calories that you're having. Right. Where it's, again, it's not food anymore. It's numbers. Um, You start fighting over types of food that's being kept into the house. You know, how dare you bring this into the house? I don't want it. Mm -hmm. You know, and then eventually having that binge session if you can't handle that that pressure anymore. And then there becomes a blame factor. I I couldn't stick your, it's your fault. I couldn't stick to my diet. Right. You, you kept tempting me or you kept bringing this food into my house or you weren't supporting me in my diet efforts. Yikes. Yeah. So believe it or not, diets can be the cause of some bad breakups. Well, it's easy to see. Yeah. Now that you put it that way, I can see how that might happen. Yeah. So this is how it's not going to happen is we're going to talk about uh, what we call the 10 principles of intuitive eating how they work for couples. And I'm not going to get into, you know, big, big details. I do have a blog post up about this where you can get into it a little bit more. The other recommendation I will have is these principles came from a book called Intuitive Eating, which is a revolutionary new program that works. It is written by a fellow dietitian, Evelyn Triboli. She actually wrote the book back in 1995. Hmm. So it's actually not a revolutionary new concept, but it's become more and more into light over the last couple of years. So How she, come? she like, laughs why, about why, it. Why is it um, becoming popular again or now? I think just because a lot more of, at least from seeing my own colleagues, I think number one, we're tired of seeing people not work on, you know, quote unquote diets. And I think we're seeing what works and what doesn't work. And I think especially now where there's just an overload of, of information out there of diets and you know, turn into a different way. I can't necessarily say like some one person is like, you know, we, the we need to it. uncover this, but you know, there's definitely 
a, a larger group of people. And even when I was in school, and this was maybe only back in 2010 was when I, or 2010 is when I started. And I remember, you know, hearing more about like these ideas of mindful eating mm-hmm. and learning how to um, be a little bit more present at your meal times. And I think just, it's just the direction where things have traveled to. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So principles of intuitive eating. Uh, I'm going to go through these, like I said, pretty briefly, but I do want to kind of put a little spin on it as far as, as a couple, how you can work together on it. Okay. Okay. So first and foremost, the number one principle, and I do want to say too, like these aren't necessarily like you have to master one before you move on to the other. Like there's 10, you can work on them in any like order. Six, two and four. <laughs> yes. You, you don't even know what they are. Nope. You have no idea. Yeah. But you can work on them in any order. And I think there's a lot of overlap on them too. So the first principle of intuitive eating is what we call reject reject the diet culture, Mm -hmm. reject the diet mentality, which basically means all this talk of diet is to start to let it go. And not just like let it go, but like get kind of pissed at it. Like you've been lied to all these years that this, this stuff is supposed to work and it's not. And I think the first thing is kind of letting, letting go of that idea that there's like that one magic diet out there that's going to work. Check. Because it's, it's not. I'm in. Um, also going along with that too is learning how to, you know, recognize diets, which is basically anytime that you're telling yourself you can't have something or anytime you are cutting out a major food group, mm-hmm. those all fall into it. Or it could be called something, something diet. Yes. That's usually a good indication as well. It is usually a good indication. The only exceptions, have, the have, exceptions to the rule, I will say, though, are what we call the Mediterranean diet and the uh, DASH diet. Okay. I call those eating lifestyles because right. you're not being told to necessarily cut anything out. You're just, again, bringing more awareness and putting an emphasis but on having more of the whole certain wholesome foods. You even have uh, an example of where so you, you were telling me a story recently about how somebody told you that they didn't weren't on diets or didn't do diets, but then they told you that they were doing a diet. I did a whole talk about intuitive eating to my chamber of commerce last week. And I didn't get into all 10 of the principles. I only did like the first three or four, but this gentleman comes over to me and he's like, Oh, you know, this totally resonated with me. I, I follow all of this. I've been following the Atkins diet for years. <laughs> I'm not eating any carbs. I'm like, you just totally missed the entire point right. of my conversation of my talk, dude. Right. So like, it, that's why I said like, <laughs> pretty good indication is it has the word diet. Yeah. I've been doing Atkins diet for years. I eat no carbs. I'm like, I just said, if you're cutting out a major food group, yeah. you're on a diet. So reject that. Done. Reject I'm that shit. It. And as a couple, you know, some ways that you can kind of be on the lookout for your partner and be, be there you know, kind of eyes eyes of reason or words of reason is, yeah, being like, hey, you're being, you know, a little crazy or, (sighs) you know, maybe we shouldn't be cutting that out. I mean, yeah. So and don't be don't be afraid to call your partner out. Seriously. I'm only laughing because I do it all the time. I know. (laughs) Not because of how you're eating. It's other things. (laughs) But uh, like you don't get crazy about how you eat or anything like that. But but remember the whole idea? We just talked about awareness. Yeah. That's that's the awareness part of being like, yo, like you're getting a little nuts on me. You're getting a little diety on me. Yeah, yeah. Let's cut that back. OK, number two, honor your hunger. You are amazing at this, babe. This is your jam. I turn into a gremlin if I don't get fed on time. Right. So this is all about listening to your body. Are you hungry? Are you full? Right. And like I've gotten to the point where 
I know when I need to eat, like before it happens, right? I know when I'm going to get hungry. Like I have to have lunch sometime within a half hour plus or minus of noon. And if that doesn't happen and like you drive me crazy sometimes, because again, you can forget to eat lunch. And so one of the things that you and I have talked about on podcasts is like, you know, it is like, you don't like eating by yourself, right? So I honor that. I'm like, okay, cool. I will wait to eat lunch when Mandy is ready to eat lunch. But when we eat at one thirty or 2, I have a cranky taco. I am beyond the point where like, I might not even talk to you in the middle of the meal until I'm done and sated. And then I'm like, okay, I'm no longer cranky. And now we can be friends again. And now we can talk. But like, that that's how bad I am. Like, and you might see that as a negative, right? Somebody could go, that's insane. Like, how could you, how could you like have that physiological response that you turn into such a grouch? But like, that's my, my machine. It's like. There's, but hanger is a real thing. Right. But, but I, I've, I guess I've trained myself over time that like I eat at certain times, I eat certain quantities. And like, if I don't stay on that schedule, my body is like, yo, what's up? When are we eating? And then I'm like, yo, what's up? When are we eating? Mm -hmm. So check. Yeah. I mean, so honoring your hunger. And this, like I said, it's just about being aware and not suppressing it. So don't wait until four o'clock in the afternoon to eat your lunch like I did back in my advertising days. And the fact that I eat it too has gotten a lot better. But overall, I mean, I liken this step to, um, you know, if you ever have to go to the bathroom, like you're not going to hold your bathroom needs in because like it doesn't work in your schedule or it's inconvenient like you're gonna do everything you can to go potty and i think that that's kind of worthy go when you have the feeling go when you have the feeling eat when you have the feeling so if you're hungry honor that eat all right number three this is what we call make peace with food or stop the food fight what does that mean give yourself permission to eat like i said before i was given the cookie example where if you see cookies or want cookies have the cookies because again when we don't this is where the last supper comes in this is where the binge fest comes in so allow yourself to see food for what it is and let it be you know pleasurable or enjoyable or nourishment whatever it is for you well if that's intuitive eating then i'm uh, i'm pretty good at this too so i think as a couple uh what's helpful is to not necessarily be in a place where it's like, you know, we can only have this like one, one day or one time. Mm -hmm. Um, but just, um, yeah. If you told me I can only have cookies on Thursdays or something like that, I would have boxes you go crazy. Yeah. of cookies yeah. hidden from you somewhere where I right. would be like, no, I'm eating cookies. Right. So it's either you have, again, the secretive behavior or, you know, putting out in the open. So if you're going to have cookies, have cookies. Done. All right. Number four, challenge the food police. So this is really the big, one where I come in. This is this is the good and bad. Okay. This is where we start labeling our foods. This is a right. good food. This is a bad food. Yep. I, you know, this is a never food, sometimes food, whatever you want to call it. Cheat food. Cheat food. Cheat days. I don't believe in those. No. Those drive me a little nutty. Um, and really, this is the police station that's like stuck in the back of your head somewhere where, you know, there's some guy that's like, nope, you can't have this. No, mm. no, no. So as a partner... That's where it's handy to have someone that can say, you know what? It's okay. You can have it. I'll have it with you. I'll have, you know, we'll have it together. Let's take the pie down. I can not eat the whole pie, but <laughs> hey, let's have a piece of pie together. Okay. 
So, and, you know, and even calling somebody out again, if you hear them saying something like, oh, this is, this is bad. I shouldn't be having this or I'm going to be a fatty today. Oh boy. Yeah. I've heard that one. Not from like you, but I've had other people. No, well, like like some of the, like I can see, I can see a lot of these things happening in relationships. It's just, it's foreign to me because we're like, we're not like that, that specific example. The, I, I already talked about the one that the one situation that drives me nuts. Yes, I know. Okay. So on the other end, we have number five, respect your fullness. So not just eating when you're hungry, but also knowing when you're full. We use this scale, it's called the hunger scale. And usually it's from a one to 10 scale where one is like starving gremlin eating your hand off. 10 is Thanksgiving dinner. So you usually want to be in like that you know, what we could say like a five or a six area where you're, you're, you're full, but content. Yeah. Right. You don't feel gross, mm-hmm. but you don't feel like you haven't had enough. So knowing when you get to that point and you're not overeating because um, again, I'm going to go back to the children starving in Africa scenario where you're full, but you're like, Oh, there's that little bit left. And I, I just need to right. ha- have that little bit or, you know, eating so much fast, and so much that you don't even give yourself the chance to realize that you're full until it's too late. Okay. Which happens a lot. So um, this is where things with your partner, like conversations during mealtime can, can be handy because it gives yourself a little chance to slow down and eat and let your stomach talk to your brain a little bit in the meantime and give that signal of being still hungry or if you're finally full. Talk at dinner, people. Have a, have a conversation. Other things that you can do that help to promote feeling that fullness factor are things like putting your fork down between bites, chewing slowly, taking a sip of water. So those are all ways to just kind of take some time to see if you're I think there's some on. people who would have problems with all three of those things. I'm sure there because are. They, because they have, they've never done that before. Yeah, especially if you've ever met anyone who has grown up in a family with a lot of siblings. A big family. A big yeah. family with a lot of siblings because it was like you you had to eat fast or you right. didn't eat at all. Or like you wouldn't get like a second serving or something like that because all the food would be gone. Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of people who would have a hard time putting the fork down. I, I agree. Taking a sip of water, chewing slowly. Like that's... That could be hard for some people. Yeah. So have a conversation with your partner and that, be like, dude, put the fork down. down. Put the fork down. For put a the second. fork down. <laughs> All right. Number six, we have what we call the satisfaction factor. So I'm trying to think offhand if there's anything I can think of, but you know, when's the last time you had something food wise and you're like, this is amazing? Uh, well, I was just an Indian. I actually had a lot of great food while I was there which was challenging because uh, uh, a lot of the dinners that I went to were kind of buffets. Um, and so like, you could go from one amazing food to the next amazing food um, pretty easily. So I would say it was less than a week ago I had th- this happened. Right. So this is what we call the, satisfa- the satisfaction factor, mm-hmm. which is just taking food for what it is and tasty. And even the situations that you're in, so the environment, like you said, you were out at with work people yep. and, you know, learning about their culture mm-hmm. or, you know, being at a wedding, let's say, yep. and enjoying the food and the company and everything that's going around. Or again, just the general pleasure of food. Like I was bringing that example of the woman who wanted the whey protein with the water. Right. And I'm like, why don't you just have it with milk? Cause it just tastes better that way. And, <laughs> and again, she was fighting me on that. Okay. Number seven is honor your feelings without using food. So again, this goes back to the idea of emotional eating 
Mm-hmm. A lot of people use food as a reward. Right. Hey, if I if I if I do this diet and I get to diet at the end of January, I'll treat myself on February 1st to whatever. Right. So finding other ways that you can reward yourself. I'm a, I'm a big uh, non-food reward person. I've talked about this with a lot of my clients. So I have them pick something that is significant motivational to them without it being food. So a lot of my females, I'll say, why don't you treat yourself to a manicure? New yoga pants. Go. Uh, fitness clothing. Yeah, actually, a, a colleague of mine just wrote a piece on, I think it was on her blog about using fitness clothing as a reward to treat yourself or to, to stay motivated to, to exercise or whatever it is. As a couple, if you're working together, maybe you treat yourself to a couple massage. If you guys, if you hit your goals together, um, I would even have people put money aside. And I'm like, you know, why don't you put the dollar aside every time you reach your goal for the day? And at the end of the month, go buy yourself new yoga pants, a new sports bra, new sneakers, whatever it is that you wanted. Um, so finding some different ways. Um, the other thing about this is what I like to say, it kind of takes away the power of food or devalues it because sometimes we set certain values. And again, I think this goes back to the food police idea too of, or of the good and the bad mm-hmm. where we set values of food. So, you know, we might think of our indulgent foods as like the high value foods and the, the fruits and vegetables is the low value foods where it's like, oh, I have to have these in order to have this. So, you know, kind of taking that power away from the food a little bit and just letting it be for what it is, which is food. Nourishment. It's just food, people. It's just nourishment. Okay. Number eight, respect your body. Okay. What does that mean? That means you are given the body that you are given. Don't try to challenge it in certain ways. So for example, <laughs> your feet. Oops. No one's going to be cutting their toes off so that they can wear a smaller size shoe. Right. Yeah. The most, that's mostly true. Do you, do you know <laughs> someone who has done otherwise? Maybe? No, no, no. Right. So accepting your body for what it is. I mean, there are just some people whose bodies are shaped certain ways. There are some people whose bodies are more metabolically active than other folks. And there's only so much of that nature that you can fight until it becomes a losing battle. Mm-hmm. So respect your body for what it is, respect the shape of it for what it is. We were all given different, you know, I used to complain as a kid because I have really short, stumpy, childlike hands and fingers. I couldn't play piano very well. I tried. I still play. I'm not great, but I, but I play. <laughs> but, I, you know, I worked, with, I worked with what I had. Right. You worked with what you had. Although I haven't seen in, in almost 14 years of being together, Evan's really of your piano playing skills. I've heard about them. I haven't seen them. Yeah, but... I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little out of practice. I'm a little rusty. Yeah, okay. That has nothing to do with respect, respecting my body. That just has to do with the fact we don't have a piano here for me to practice on. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, little, I'm a little out of piano shape. Okay. All right. Speaking of shape, exercise, feeling different. So exercise, for some people, they use as a form of punishment. Hmm. I have to go on the treadmill if I'm going to go out tonight. I have to exercise if I'm going to go to this event. I I have to do this in order versus enjoying exercise for its physical benefits right. and mental and emotional benefits too, where it's, you know, exercising and, and helping to work towards getting stronger, doing a like your Spartan challenge where that had nothing to do with, did I say Spartan? Warrior. Warrior. I'm sorry. Warrior challenge. Yo, edit that out. Come on. What's <laughs> wrong with you? 
doing your warrior challenge where I don't think you did the warrior challenge because you were like, I'm going to get ripped after the warrior challenge. <laughs> no, it was fun. It, it's a fun thing. Well, and, and for me, working out is fun. I found something that I enjoy doing and doesn't feel like punishment ever. And I look forward to it. And, and I, you know, if I don't get to do it a certain number of days in a row or something, I really miss it. Yeah. And I think too, it's understanding, again, listening to your body of how you feel when you exercise. And like you said, like, is it something that's fun? What? I was thinking about this earlier today. Is there such a thing as intuitive fitness? So how would you define intuitive fitness? Well, I was thinking like, because we were talking about as prep, you told me, okay, we're going to talk about intuitive eating, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? I think, I think I'm getting to a point even where I'm like getting intuitive about how hard I go when I work out, which hasn't been a strength of mine historically. Like I was no, you're always the animal who's go, just go, go, go yeah. as hard as he can. And, and so when I did CrossFit, for example, I was a classic example of somebody who would go really hard in a CrossFit class and then not be able to go back to the gym for two or three days because I was so darn sore. Right. And I haven't been in that, like one, I'm not doing CrossFit. Um, and maybe I just didn't jive with it, whatever. So my, the, the training that I'm doing is a little bit different, but also I've been, I've noticed lately that I'm more aware of when I'm just like, I'm tired or, um, certain body parts are more tired than others. Right. So like maybe one, like one day my, my legs are just gassed. And like when I'm on that assault bike, I feel like I'm moving in mud or something like that. So like, I don't have to kill it on that because my body's telling me like we've done enough lower body stuff but maybe i'm crushing the pull-ups and burpees and things like that and i'm like that's where i'm going to go hard so even within the workout i can pick like all right this is where i'm going to kind of like it's almost like a win place show mentality right like i'm going to crush these exercises these ones i'm going to like kind of be somewhere middle and then these other ones i'm like gonna kind of pull back on because then what ends up happening is i don't have to be so sore the next day that I can't go to class or something. Like yeah. That. And again, I think this also goes back to the idea of the respecting your body where you're tired or yes. sore. Right. You're jet lagged, whatever it is. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard. I, I like the idea of intuitive, intuitive fitness. fitness. I think, write that I, down. I think I'm going to have to write a blog. You heard it here first. Nutrition Nuptials podcast. Should we taco terminology that shit? Sure, taco terminology. Cue the music. Well, I'll, do, I'll have to write a post about that. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a whole episode about that. But yeah, I, I definitely agree that there is something. I mean, we talk a lot about honoring rest days. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, this past week and the last two weekends, I've been spending doing a restorative yoga training, right. which years ago I would never have done because restorative yoga is just lying around on bolsters and blocks. And I'm like, this isn't yoga. I'm not standing on my hands. But over the last few years, same thing where I've noticed where I need to not necessarily go through these crazy intense practices and doing these big back bends Mm -hmm. and intense arm balances and stretches. And some days I just want to lay around on a big bolster and blankets and be on the cloud. (laughs) That's a great place to be. Pictures coming soon. Yes. They will. I'm going to be I'm going to be doing some restorative yoga practice on taco. So I'll have to post some pictures on that. Yeah. 
And the final, final intuitive eating principle, number 10, is honor your health. So knowing that there are situations where certain nutrition needs may come into play. I'm going to use the example of diabetes, mm-hmm. where there are certain nutrition protocols when it comes to managing diabetes or cholesterol and understanding how that falls into play where it's done in a more therapeutic way versus doing it because we're telling you you have to if you want to lose weight to get rid of your diabetes or whatever. So understanding that you, number one, want to be getting a variety of nutrients from all all food groups, all food groups fit, all food groups exist, Mm -hmm. have them all. And then also understanding when there might be cases where you need to have certain things or you can't. So for example, some people develop allergies Mm -hmm. and understanding that, you know, in that case, that is when a food group has to be taken away. But then how are you making up for those nutrients that you're losing if you are taking those out? Got it. I actually... Uh, know a guy from work. He knows when he's gonna when he's susceptible to having like a sh- blood sugar crash, basically. So he knows like what time of day he that's he's susceptible to doing that. He knows like after what kinds of meals that might happen, and so he's always prepared with his uh, you know blood sugar uh, antidotes, I guess, to bring him back up uh, when he has the crash. Yeah. So knowing, knowing that and being in tune with yourself. Um, so Taco, those are the 10 principles of intuitive eating. All right. You know, I guess we kind of really didn't talk on some of the last few about, you know, how your partner plays a role in it. But I think overall, it's just talking to your partner and having, we use the C word all the time, communication mm-hmm. and, you know, understanding how they're feeling. Right. Hey, babe, you look really tired. Maybe, maybe you should take today off. That actually happened. That actually happened after after I came home and I got off the plane and I really wanted to go to the gym. But yeah, Taco, Taco lands. I what time? Seven a.m. and you were no, like, I landed at, like before six a.m. Okay, you landed at six a.m. You got to the house at seven, and like you were pretty hardcore. Like you were gonna go to I think like the nine o'clock class. Yeah, I'm like, there's no way. There's. <laughs> I love you. I know that you want to work out. I know that you probably can, but. You, you talked. You seem pretty tired, and by eight thirty, yeah. you were passed out napping on the I couch. I was already napping on the couch, so you talked a little bit of sense into me. Yeah, and not only that, they didn't want to hear you come home and being like, "Man, I had a terrible workout." <laughs> oh, so really, this was about you. You didn't want to hear me talk about how I, my workout sucked. No, that's just actually came to my head now. I'm like, you would have come home and complained about it. No, I really just i I knew that you were tired, and yeah. it probably worked out better for everyone. It did. You, it did. That you slept in and took the day off. Yeah. So that's our that's our 10 principles of intuitive eating as a couple. I hope that you can maybe find some ways to work together. And like I said, you don't have to tackle all 10 at once. Maybe there's one thing. Maybe you just want to work on let's stop saying good and bad foods or let's stop putting one food on the pedestal versus the other. Or let's stop forcing ourselves to work out and doing something if we don't like it. And let's find something new and fun to do. Right. Like restorative yoga. Sure. <laughs> all right. So with that said... If any of what Taco and I talked about sounds a little intriguing to you and you want to dive a little bit deeper into the world of intuitive eating, I am actually going to be setting up an intuitive eating group. One is going to be online and virtual. The other is going to be in person. So if you live in the New Jersey area, perhaps in maybe the Monmouth County area, I'm going to be doing an in-person session as well. And 
realistically what we're doing is basically going through the intuitive eating book and tackling each principle on the weekly basis. So there'll be some journaling, there'll be, you know, really some openness. So if you're someone who doesn't like to talk about things and get personal, um, this could be an opportunity to learn how to do so. And uh, maybe if you're a couple, maybe you do it together. Ooh. Something to think about. It's a date night. It could be a date. It could be a built-in date night. Yes. Yeah. So you can um, come on into that. If you have any questions or want some more information about the uh, 10-week intuitive eating group that I'm going to be doing, that is going to be starting on February 11th. So you can head on over to a link in the show notes where I'll provide some more information about that program. Or you can head on over to nutritionnuptials.com slash intuitive eating group program to learn more about that. Hopefully get you in and and taking a nice big deep dive into that. I'm also going to be throwing in a little, I'm going to like super hippie yogi, but throwing in some meditation. I'll talk about how essential oils actually can play a role in intuitive eating as well. So some, wow, there's a lot of information there. Some fun things. That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. Okay. You're going to get your, you're going to get your time's worth. Yes, all good stuff. So check that out. And uh, if you have any questions, you can always shoot an email to podcast at nutritionnuptials.com. And with that said, for more ways to learn how to merge lifestyles as a couple, you can head on over to nutritionnuptials.com and get a whole bunch of tips, recipes, fitness, meal plans, and more. I also mentioned at the top of the show, the five days of meal plans, fitness, and self-care. So you can grab that guy as well. We also love connecting with our folks on social media. You can follow the show at nutrition underscore nuptials over on Instagram. And if you want to get some more nuggets of wisdom from Mandy, the dietitian, you can follow me over on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and YouTube at Mandy Enright, RD. And for, why are you staring at me? Well, because you're (laughs) sitting across from me. I have nothing to say. Give me some weird eyes. I'm not giving you, maybe I'm just tired. Um, no, like, I, I like how every, all, you all have, y'all have the RD at the end of your names. Which most people have no idea what that stands for yeah. anyways. So, yeah. Yeah. But yes, it is. Go what, on. I'm not looking, it is I'm what not we all look do. at you anymore, even though you're sitting right across from me. <laughs> ah, taco. Well, with that said, we love our listeners and all the rave reviews that you guys have to share. If you haven't had the chance to do so, please head over to iTunes or your preferred podcast listening platform of choice and take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. And if Taco were here, he would say, give us five stars. But Taco is here. So give us five stars. Thank you, Taco, for your five-star input. That that gets five stars right there. I'm happy to help. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you'd like to support the show with some added benefits, you can head on over to patreon.com slash nutrition nuptials and become a show patron. Actually just gave a little update to our patron Patreon benefits. So we can head on over. We have options starting at the dollar, $5 and $10 giving level. And there's lots of goodies and benefits at each of the levels. If you choose to help us out and give our show a little love. There's even some outtakes that have been posted onto the Patreon. <laughs> there might even be more from this episode. Well, we, I think we have some that you're not going to hear. You're not hearing in this episode now because they've been cleverly edited out. I'm sure. But we've got more material. But you can find them on Patreon. Outtakes. Show outtakes. 
they're there. When you're not listening to outtakes or listening to this podcast, hopefully you are finding some ways to live your happily, healthfully ever after together. I'll drink to that. Well, thank you so much for tuning into the show. I hope you took some good nuggets of wisdom away all about intuitive eating. I hope Taco provides some some good grounding wisdom about being an intuitive eater and took away some some things that you can work on uh, together as a, as a partnership. I just hope you were entertained. I hope so, too. I agree. So with that said, thanks again for tuning in to the Nutrition Nuptials podcast. For more information about intuitive eating, check out the show notes for today. You can grab them over on the website, nutritionnuptials.com. And I think Taco and I have done our job here educating you all about intuitive eating today. I what agree. do you say? Yeah, I, I agree. All right. Well, thanks again for tuning in to your happily, healthfully ever after. Taco, take us out. Adios, amigos. Mm-hmm.